The following Sunday special edition is presented in two parts. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 11, 2018. The sheer ID numbers for Friday, November 9th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,161. That's 12161. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,162. That's 12162. This morning, A Vision for You presents Walking Day by Day with the New Man. Step 12 states, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Step 12 gives us a guarantee that if we work all 12 steps, we will undergo a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening can be thought of as a new state of consciousness and being, as a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, and as an awareness of a power greater than ourselves. The big book speaks of a transformation stemming from access to a source of strength, a power which before we had denied ourselves. The results of a spiritual awakening are dramatic, and they include changed perceptions, attitudes, and behavior. We are transformed. A deep desire and responsibility to help others and carry the message of recovery begins to emerge. We can now help another who has a problem similar to our own and convey an understanding that no one else can. Because of our experience, we can cross barriers of race, religion, and every other kind, and we can help and guide another in a very special and meaningful way. We have purpose in our lives. We can carry a message of depth and weight. We can walk day by day with the new man. Joining us today to speak on this very topic is Sheila Jay, a recovered compulsive overeater from California. Sheila is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, traveling near and far to carry the message of recovery. And it's with great pleasure that I welcome Sheila. Good morning, Sheila. Oh, good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. It is really good to to be on the, the call. And, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful early morning here in Los Angeles. So I am I am very excited that uh, I am alert and awake and happy to be here. It's always such a special thing to be up really early in the morning like this. I'm trying to get my life situated where I can get to bed early and get up early because I just, I love being up at this, what feels like the holy time at the, the holiest of times, really, at the beginning of the day like this. So, again, it's very, very good to, to be on the call. I'm delighted to, to participate here. So, as Leah had referenced, what I wanted to talk about is really one of my favorite phrases from, from the book, right? And I remember a sponsor many, many years ago in the mother program where I started before I came into Overeaters Anonymous, pointing out that this this very phrase is what really brought home the point that I needed to be in touch 
with my sponsor on a daily basis. And it is on page 100, and it's the first full paragraph. And I'll read the paragraph, and we'll talk about the, the little phrase a bit here. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. But again, back to that first line of that paragraph. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. That really meant a lot to me and continues to mean a lot to me because I, it was a, a very challenging road for me in the beginning when I came into 12-step programs. And I had come from a, a, a traumatic childhood experience. I, I was born into, I was the youngest of five children, probably an unplanned pregnancy. All of my older siblings were much closer in age. And then I came along and my parents uh, were struggling financially. We were kind of lower middle class family. My father had gone to school on the GI Bill. And and my parents died young. They died in their 60s. Um, they weren't alcoholic, but both of them had come from alcoholic homes. And so I, I always say, even though they died of various ailments, the reality is they, they died of alcoholism, right? The effects of alcoholism, the chronic unhappiness and distress and this lack of ease, really. And um, because of that that experience, I just I can't imagine that my, my parents would have decided, my mother in particular would have decided to have one more child. So I'm assuming I was an unplanned pregnancy, and certainly everything that, that played out in my family, um, the lack of, of attention and oversight, and um, it certainly indicates that, that I was not a child that was planned. And, um, and I really felt those effects, and I have had felt those for a lifetime. And I got I got into program early in my 20s. I started in Al-Anon and then ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous, where I got clean and sober. And then three months into that program, I turned to somebody next to me and I said, "Do you think you can have a problem with sugar? Like you have a problem with alcohol?" And I weighed 200 pounds at the time. And she said, "Definitely go to Overeaters Anonymous." And I did. And I am so grateful for that. But I was especially grateful that that initial sponsor in in Alcoholics Anonymous pointed out this line about walking day by day, right, in the path of spiritual progress with a sponsor. Because the, the irony is, is growing up the way I did and wanting, it, craving it, you know, desiring it ardently, even though I wasn't conscious of, of that desire. I wanted love and attention and connection so much, but I did not have any of the tools to get it. I did not know how to do this. And I'd done some therapy at that point. Of, I guess it was uh, uh, some um, group therapy I'd done when I was in college. So I had a little taste of of what it meant to to 
be in a loving, safe situation where you could open up and share your feelings and things like that. But um, I did not have a clue. I did not know how to connect. I was largely unsocialized. I didn't have any close friends. And um, I would kind of gather friends as I, I went through junior high and high school and things, but I never held on to friendships because, again, I just didn't have the tools. I did not know what it meant to be connected. So when my sponsor pointed this out and, and made herself available for daily phone calls, um, it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. And I have always sought out sponsors since then who were going to be available on a daily basis because I was very clear that given all of the old patterns, the years and years of problem patterns, this was going to be a real process for me to work my way out of those grooves and get myself connected on a consistent basis so that I could heal and thrive and grow in the way that I wanted to, that I had always wanted to. And what my sponsor pointed out that we were going to be doing on a daily basis was working those steps. But again, I just, I can't stress this enough. This was a crucial piece of the puzzle right in the beginning. And so one of the things that I do when I get started working with somebody, because I work with chronic slippers, exclusively, because I was a chronic slipper in Overeaters Anonymous for a dozen years, right? I've been here for 30 years, and I only have 18 years of abstinence. I've been at my my uh, goal weight, which is 135 pounds for the last 15, 16 years, but it took me a long time to get to the point where I was ready to put down the food consistently. Um, there are certain foods that just don't work for me anymore. Maybe they never did, or maybe it was because I pushed the boundaries so long um, as a chronic slipper for a dozen years. But I had to put certain big categories of food off to the side and then certainly quantity eating. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do that if I was going to really make myself available through this process of working the steps over and over again, if I was really going to make myself available for the healing and the transformation and the recovery that I aspired to. But it just took me a long, long time, many, many years of this process of walking day by day with sponsors before I was ready to feel the feelings. And uh, so since I had that experience, since I have that experience, I make myself available to chronic slippers. And it's not that I have any... <clears throat> messianic complex. It's not like I have some idea that I can do something that uh, the other people in the rooms can't do, right? It's not about that. But I do have my ash, right? And my ash, my experience, strength, and hope as a chronic slipper is that I, I realized over the years certain things worked very, very well. And um, certain things were were not useful at all in terms of of my own recovery, and then as I have gone through over the years and worked these these steps, 
in a very specific way as one of my sponsors toward the toward the middle of my OA time when this all came together for me, um, worked the steps with me. So the first thing I have somebody do is I have them read Working With Others, right? And again, so by the time somebody ends up in in uh, my hula hoop, right, and we're going to we're going to go through the steps together day by day. There are people who have been in the program for a long time, right, and have struggled for, for years. If somebody works with me and they've only got five years of banging their head against the wall, that's a short amount of time. Usually I'm working with people with 10, 15, 20, 25 years of struggling in programming. Again, that's not because I have an idea that I, I can do something that Leia can't do or John can't do or... Mary or Tom or Susie can't do it. It's not about that. But I do have that esh, and I lean into that. And so the first thing I ask somebody to do is read this very chapter. Right? And I invite them right, to make sure that they're highlighting and annotating, highlighting and annotating something on every single page of the big book. Right? The first direction I got from my first sponsor also was to make sure that I'm reading two pages a day in the big book. I read two pages a day and go through the whole book. I'm going, to get, I'm going to finish that book in about 10 months. And I said, well, what do I do when I'm done? And she said, do it again. What do I do when I'm done then? Do it again. Right? So that was, that was a, a, a seminal piece of information I got right from the beginning. This is a textbook, and it's a book to be studied. Right? Not a book to be read. There's a book to be studied. There's a difference. I'm an academic on my way into a doctoral program here next fall. So... Uh, they've done studies, I and mean, you take in more material when you you are highlighting and annotating, right? So I stress that. So I invite people to make sure they're doing that as they're reading these these uh, these pages. Make sure you're highlighting and annotating. But I'll start them out with this first chapter, and then I say, go back to page 100, and I want you to read that page again, right? And I want you to write for 15 minutes on that that paragraph, right? That paragraph. And then after they do that, right, I say read that paragraph on page, at the top of page 96. Right? So you're going to read this chapter on the second day and go back to page 96 and read the paragraph at the top of page 96. Right? And that paragraph is, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another Alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chain. So over the course of two days, right, as somebody has read this chapter and highlighted and annotated on, on all of the pages, that first day they're going to be writing on the prospect of being connected with somebody on a daily basis because that, that's a significant piece of the puzzle, I know it was for me in my years and years of slipping, is I had been directed to uh, connect with a sponsor on a daily basis, but it was never required, right? So that option was put out there, and it was pointed out in the beginning how important that was, but 
in the same way it was a process for me to feel safe enough to put down the food and deal with all the feelings that were going to come up from the chaotic childhood I experienced, the sexual trauma. In the same way it was a real process there, it was a real process for me to feel safe enough to be talking to a sponsor on a daily basis, right? So right in the beginning, I want someone to understand that the book is directing me, right? It's directing me to make sure that I'm doing this daily contact so to introduce that, that this is not my good idea. This is a a very specific direction from the book. You know, I've, I've never done this, and I don't know that I ever will do it, but I've seen anywhere from 98 to 143, you know, seen those numbers on the, <laughs> on the Internet where people have actually gone through what amounts to the first 164 pages of the book and looked for all the mandates and directions that it, that it gives us. Because <laughs> people always talk about these things are suggestions. And what I always tell sponsees is you can call them suggestions if you want. Call them, call them butterflies, right? But the reality is it's not a suggestion, it's a direction. So when it gives me the line, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress, that's not a suggestion, that's a direction. So I want someone to get right in the beginning how this is going to go if we're working together. We're going to follow this book very, very specifically. So they see that on that first day when they've read that chapter and gone back to this page and reread it again and written on that for 15 minutes. And they go back to page 96, read that paragraph, and they will usually write something to the effect uh, that they're going to be fired or thrown away if if they don't do what I'm asking them to do, if they don't get at uh, sober, abstinent, in our case, and readers anonymous. But if they don't do what it is they're supposed to do here, right, um, they're going to be they're going to be cast aside. And what I bring home to them is I say, huh, no, that's actually not, that's, I, I, that's not anything I wanted you to get. What I wanted you to understand, because now I want to introduce for the first time something which somebody who has been chronically slipping for years and years and years hasn't done, is they haven't thought about it from the perspective of the person who's sponsoring them. I said, what I want you to understand is what it seems to be directing me as a sponsor to do is to make sure that I'm not chasing somebody who isn't going to work with me. It doesn't say we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not get sober. That's not what it says. It says we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. So what I want you to understand, sponsee of mine, for me to truly be of service to you, I, I need you to know that I need to have you working with me. And what does that working with me mean, right? Well, let's turn back to page 100 and look at this. What are the things that it's telling me? I need you to be available to be connected with me on a daily basis as we work the steps. Right? 
So right in the beginning, in this very, very important part, right in the beginning, I want to make sure that the sponsee understands we're going to have daily connection and the direction I'm giving as a given as a sponsor is to make sure that I'm working with people who are going to be working with me. Okay? And what does what does working with me mean? Well what I'm very committed to doing is giving people lots and lots of things to do on a daily basis. As my sponsor gives me continues to give me lots of things to do on a daily basis. So I'm I'm simply relaxing into the lineage of good sponsorship that I'm so blessed to be a part of. My sponsor has a sponsor who has a sponsor. And they're going to be reading and writing on a daily basis. Okay? So we get this right in the beginning and get this established. And I use the book as my loving authority. And there is a lot of love and warmth in the connections that I have with the people that I've sponsored over the years. I don't know what any conversation might be outside in the world. I don't know. I know that I get snippets of it when I hear people um, kind of relate the, some of the gossip that's out there. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hard on sponsees. First of all, sponsees don't need sponsors to be hard on them. We are we are people that it comes very very naturally for us to be hard on ourselves. So that's never my inclination. And I always say, if being mean to somebody was going to solve my my eating problem, my dad would have solved my problem in childhood. My father had three overweight daughters, and he wasn't happy about it. And my two older sisters didn't get too much grief because my one sister would just lob it back at him. Whatever he threw at her, she'd throw it back twice as hard or twice as long. And my middle sister was working for my father at his business, so he didn't want to give her too much trouble, so I was an easy target. And it didn't solve my problem. It didn't. It just introduced more shame, and shame came naturally any way for me based on the, the, the sexual trauma, the molestation that I'd experienced from two family friends on multiple occasions at different points in my life when I was 5 and 10. So I already had that in place. You know, I had that that built-in shame. So then when my father was was um, being so horrible in terms of his communication, right, and his lack of attention toward me because I was overweight, um, I, I, I got it loud and clear that being mean to somebody wasn't going to solve my problem. And it's not my inclination anyway at all. But when somebody has been struggling, right, for years and years, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation where somebody is bringing home the point that we're going to need to be connecting on a daily basis, and that is direction that I'm taking very specifically from the book, right? Good cop, bad cop. So I get to be the good cop and let the big book, wink, wink, be the bad cop as we take all of these things here that are presented so beautifully and we see that they are really direction. So when somebody sees that we're going to be connecting on a daily basis, right, and then 
on page 96, it brings home the point that in that daily connection, there's going to be an expectation that you're doing the things I'm asking you to do. And that's my responsibility as a sponsor to make sure I'm working with people who are doing what I'm asking them to do on a daily basis. Well, if you, you've been struggling, if you've been in the food, doing quantity eating, struggling with sugar, and I don't know whether or not sugar is a good thing for normies, I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> I have not met anybody in Overeaters Anonymous. Well, I don't even know if I need to say that. I, I don't know if sugar works for anybody here, but um, it's certainly not my business what anybody outside of the, the purview of, of uh, the people that I sponsor is. But I won't sponsor anybody if they want to keep eating sugar. Because for the short time that we're going to work together, as I take somebody through the steps as they're outlined in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, it doesn't take a long time. It, depending on the amount of material somebody has on a four-step, this might take at most, I think the longest I've ever taken with anybody in this program or the mother program, because again, I sponsor product slippers exclusively, uh, is six months. And that was because that person had you know, extensive material that ended up on a four-step, which means it also then ends up on an eight-step list. Right? That's what the book tells me on page 84, that I made my, my, uh, uh, my eight-step list um, when, I, when I took my four-step. So if somebody has a lot of material there, um, it's not on page 84, it's on page 76, I think. But if somebody has a lot of material, then it's going to take us a little bit longer. But it doesn't take a long time to work the steps. And what I want to do is I want to take somebody through the steps as they're outlined in the book, right, very, very specifically, and um, so that you can get all of the places that we are directed to very specific actions, which then create that potential for recovery, right, if somebody follows through and lets their heart be accessed through this cognitive behavioral approach to recovery, right? So right in the beginning, somebody gets daily contact and there's going to be an expectation that I'm doing work. So if someone's been in the food, that can sound mean. You're, you're being mean, right? I always tell people I'm not mean. I'm clear. I'm clear. I'm clear about what the book directs me to do. I'm clear about what my sponsor's expectations are of me, and I'm clear that the only place of power that I have is my willingness to open my heart and be vulnerable. That's the only way to be safe in the world. It's the only way to be safe, and it's the only way to be safe in this process with my sponsors. So somebody gets that right in the beginning, right? So that's now clearly, clearly established. And and they get to make a decision whether or not this is something they want to do, right? If you're drowning, blue boat, red boat, purple boat, green boat, red boat, pink boat can save your life. But you got to get out of the water and you got to get in the boat. And if you got in my boat, you got in the red rowboat. And I'm, I'm assuming you got in my boat because you want what I have. And if you want what I have, do what I do. Right? Not in a dogmatic, hard, driven way. You can get out of my boat at any time. But any time you decide you don't want what I have, 
You can get out of my boat. You don't need to jump back in the water. Don't jump back in the water. The sharks are circling and they're hungry. And they just you hang on. I'll row you up alongside. I'll row you up alongside Jane's boat. Jane's catamaran, right? I'll hold your hand while you're getting out of my rowboat and you're getting in Jane's catamaran on her catamaran. And then she can catamaran you away. I don't know what a catamaran does. <laughs> but whatever they do, she's going to be she's going to be uh, sailing you away on a boat. And I'm gonna be blowing kisses, waving, hoping you remembered what I what I talked to you about in terms of outreach call. And maybe I'll get one of those once in a while. Right? So I make it safe right from the beginning, telling somebody, here's the expectation, daily contact, based on what the literature directs me to, on page 100, and on page 96, where it directs me as a sponsor, and it says, if you don't want to work with me, not if you won't get abstinent, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. Not get sober, not get abstinent, but will not work with me. And that work is going to involve everything that my sponsor has continues to have me doing on a daily basis. So that gets established right in the beginning. Then somebody can decide, right, knowing that they can get out of the boat at any time, because we're going to we're going to jump in now, and we're going to we're going to take a look at this powerful powerful book and see what it has to offer. Okay. So now I'm on day three. So now it's time to start the step one chapters of the book, which are doctor's opinion, Bill's story. Uh, there is a solution and more about alcoholism. So those four different chapters, because we're going to just hustle along here, because I, I want to get myself situated with somebody where we're just moving now with real alacrity here. I don't want, I don't want again, this is, this is how I sponsor. So you're, this is the red rowboat. This is my little process. And every boat in the harbor, right, and as they head out of the harbor and head out on the on the ocean or the lake or whatever, right, we don't want to stay in the harbor, but every boat, everybody is doing what they're doing, and it, and, and it, can, it can save you. But if you're in my boat, I've got a very specific process, okay? So now we're going to do those. We're going to take the next four days, and the person is going to read, the sponsor is going to read, each of those chapters, and they're going to write for 15 minutes, okay? So now let's go to the doctor's opinion. And I always tell people, you can't do this wrong. The only way you can do this wrong is if you're not doing it. And again, I always know I have those seminal pages within that working with others chapter to go back to. And looking at the daily contact, and looking at the expectation that I need to have as a sponsor, that somebody is going to work with me. And working with me involves calling and calling on time. You know, if your call time is 8 o'clock, we're going to talk for 15 minutes, which is what I do. Talk to sponsees for 15 minutes a day, Monday through Friday, floating calls on Saturday and Sunday, right? But we're going to talk for 15 minutes, which is 75 minutes a week, which is 300 minutes a month. That can change your life. I know it did for me. I stopped grinding my teeth when I was... 36 years old and I was doing that for the first time with a sponsor where I got very, very committed to this daily call. So I know it can change your life <clears throat> 30 minutes a month. So um, we are going to be on that phone call for 15 minutes a day. So if your call time is 8 o'clock, 
we'll talk from 8 to 8.15. If you call at 8 o'clock, we talk for 15. If you call at 8.05, we talk for 10. If you call at 8.10, we're going to talk for 5. If you keep that up, I'm going to lovingly let you go. I'm going to keep you in my boat, and I'm going to, to either get you, you rowed up alongside another boat, or I'll take you to shore. Because you don't need to jump back in the water. But if you're not calling and taking full advantage of the time we have together, what you're indicating to me is you don't want what I have. And no problem. There's no problem with that, right? On my bad days, I don't want what I have. So there's no problem here. But what, what, what I want to establish right from the beginning, based on that direction that I get from that working with others chapter where we started, that my expectation is that we are going to be working together and you're going to be taking advantage of the time that we have together, that holy, holy time, what will be that 300 minutes during the course of the month, right? That holy time, as I take full advantage of the holy time that my sponsor offers me, right? That 15-minute slot of time um, so that I can see exactly what this book is about and take full advantage of hearing about her ash, right? Her experience, strength, and hope and the experience, strength, and hope of the, the line of sponsors that she has standing behind her. Right? So they'll read the doctor's opinion on our first day of working, step one, right? And that, that chapter is full of all kinds of wonderful things, right? We just don't have time to, to look at everything here. But, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> This meant a lot to me right at the beginning. I wanted to get it established that it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And that allergy of the body gets resolved. It's not an urban myth. I had some, some serious allergy issues at one point and ended up at a, with a really great doctor here in town. And, and uh, it, is, it is 21 days, about 21 days to get a uh, physical allergy worked out of your body. And if that were the only problem for me here in Alcoholics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, once that substance has been out of my body for 21 days, I, the problem would be solved, but, but it's, that, it's that obsession of the mind. That's what's really going to give me real trouble is what, what I'm thinking about. So I'm hoping somebody gets that sense as they're reading this, but it doesn't even matter. I just want them to read that chapter, highlight and annotate at least one thing on every page, and wait for 15 minutes. Again, you can't do it wrong. The only way you do it wrong is by not doing it, right? So if I, I direct somebody to do that as their assignment on Tuesday morning, then when we talk on Wednesday morning, the expectation is that you've read that chapter and you've written for 15 minutes, okay? And we then will maybe have a conversation after they do their reading because I'm not, especially in the beginning, and I'm, there will be more conversation about um, we get deeper in terms of our lives and spouses and children and career and different things like that to a to a uh, a greater extent as time goes on right but especially in the beginning it's really important to spend the time focused on the material the writing and if they finish reading their their writing and we still have eight minutes in the phone call, well, then I'll say, okay, let's turn to, uh, turn to Roman numeral page 27. 
What do you have highlighted and annotated there? Tell me what you've got. Let's talk about it. Right? So I introduced this this idea that that's what the the study part of this. That's how it that's how it happens. That's why you're you're making sure you find at least one thing on every single page because that stuck out for you for a reason. And let's let's talk about that. Those are the kind of things we can talk about on outreach calls. You know, people oftentimes will will talk about how they struggle with outreach calls. And I'll I'll get to what I'm having somebody do in an email for me on a daily basis, too. That's important because we have that conversation in the first couple of days. So I don't want to miss that. But people will get thrown by outreach calls. I know it was kind of the last piece of the puzzle for me. It took me years, years, even within abstinence before I was consistently making those outreach calls. I was directed to make three calls on a daily basis. Three live or six message, or any combination thereof. And that was, I, I had a sponsor who appreciated my effort one day when it took me 25 phone calls on a Saturday to reach three people live, and she, she came up with that idea. <laughs> or I might have come up with that idea and asked her if that would be acceptable, and it was. But, um, but it, was a, it was the last piece of the puzzle for me because it was the real intimacy of phone contact between meetings. And yet it's part of our tools in Overeaters Anonymous. So we know it's not something, you know, the tools aren't something we're just supposed to be reading at the beginning of meetings, right? There's there are things I'm supposed to be doing on a daily basis. But people will often say, I just came back, I led a retreat in Dallas, and it was a, a conversation that came up through the Ask It Basket about outreach calls. And this woman came up to me kind of in tears and, and one of the breaks and said, well, I don't know what to talk about on the outreach call. I said, talk about the literature. Talk about the book. You know, those outreach calls don't always have to be about, oh, I want to eat. Can you help me not eat? Well, turn to page 63, read the A, B, and C, pay attention to the B. No, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't take this away for you. I can't take this compulsion away. I wish I could, but I can't. If I could, maybe my mother and my brother, who were diabetics but also had eating disorders like me, maybe they wouldn't be dead. My brother died in his 30s. My mother died in her 60s. I can't do that, so I can't take that away. Right, but what you can do is you can talk about the literature. So calls don't have to be, oh, I want to eat. Let me make an outreach call, or oh, I need to figure this out with my husband or my career. I need to get this in order. Let me make an outreach call. An outreach call can be, hey, uh, Susie, it's Sheila making an outreach call from OA. Is this a convenient time for you? Yeah, sure. Gosh, I just I read the coolest thing in the book this morning. You, I don't know if you want to pull out your big book. Can I just point this out to you? Isn't this cool? I've seen this, you know, 50 times, had it highlighted in seven different colors, and somehow it really landed differently for me today. Isn't that cool? We can literally have little teeny tiny study groups on these outreach calls, you know. So that takes some of the pressure off too. Is um, we can. We can let the literature be the, the basis of the call, right? It can be the motivation there. And it's interesting in diving deep with the literature and talking about the literature on an outreach call, how it removes the compulsion, right? So at any rate, somebody is in this chapter on day one. It's highlighted and annotated and they write for 15 minutes. And they do Bill's story. Do the same thing there, right? Write for 15 minutes. I'm going to hear about that on the next day because, again, this is, I, we're going to get, we're going to be moving very, very quickly here because we want to give your brain something to do so that it doesn't sit back and contemplate 
the breakdown of the ego that's happening here, right? <laughs> you are breaking down the ego when all of a sudden you've got something going on on a daily basis like that, right? The ego, and the ego does not appreciate this. So it's important to really stay busy. So the thing that I also have people doing, right, and we talked about this in the beginning, is the email they're going to be sending me at night. Because if we're in Overeaters Anonymous and we, the goal is to eventually take a conclusive third step, right, turning my will and my life over to God, and as my friend Iona says in, in the program, my will is what I want, my life is what I've got. So if I'm going to turn my will and my life over to God, taking a conclusive third step, that has to involve turning over my food. It has to. So if I'm going to be turning over my food, that's telling me I have to be honest with somebody about what it is that I'm eating. Okay? And since I'm going to be honest with what I'm eating, there has to be some component of weighing, weighing and measuring. So all of my sponsees in that first week end up with a scale, a food scale. Not a what-do-you-weigh scale, but a food scale. Because I have to have real clarity, and you have to have real clarity about what you're eating. And since we need to have that clarity, then we have to know how much you're eating. So there, there has to be the weighing and measuring. Because if somebody says, well, I had, I had a cheeseburger and french fries. No, I'll skip the french fries. Let's say french fries aren't healthy. I had a cheeseburger and Doritos for lunch. Well, I don't know if you got those Doritos at 7-Eleven or Costco. I don't know where that bag came from. So there has to be some communication about what the quantities are that you're eating. Because, again, I, do, I have sponsored an anorexic here and there. I've sponsored bulimics, but I'm not bulimic. And I do, I do think bulimics do better with bulimics, in my experience, because there's a special component of deception that can be in place. Uh, with bulimia, and sometimes it, it's easier for another bulimic to spot it. But most of the people, right, 95% of the people, 98% of the people that I sponsor are dealing with a weight issue. They're overweight, like I was overweight. So um, it's essential that somebody be weighing and measuring their food, okay? And so they're going to be telling me, you either need to commit your food ahead of time or tell me what you ate afterward. Your choice. Um, and at different points, I I am in on different sides of the line of that, with that. Most of the time, I'm committing what it is I eat at the end of the day. But I'm actually uh, going to be starting um, as an exercise tomorrow where I'm going to be committing my food ahead of time. I'm going to try this just to, to see if there's something else that's on my mind and the sponsor of mine thinks it's a good idea for me to try it that way for a while, right? So I'm going to be committing my food ahead of time. And, but at any rate, somebody's sending me an email, and for the most part, people are telling me what they ate at the end of the day. Right? They're sending this email at night. And they'll also include uh, 10 things they're grateful for. That was my sponsor's idea. That was not my idea. <laughs> it's my sponsor's idea. And I'm going to have them record who they made their outreach calls to, right? And you indicate with an L as a live call or M as a message call. So I want somebody to make three live or six message calls, right? And then they're going to indicate how long they meditated because I get somebody started on meditation right from the beginning. We start with five minutes and we'll bump up to uh, 15 by the time they get to their fourth step, which will be on about day eight or nine. Um, 
and I never take anybody past 15 minutes, right? I meditate for 40 minutes a day, two 20-minute sessions, but I never take anybody past 15. If you want to meditate more than 15, and I think it's a good idea, um, you can you can be on that journey on your on your own. But um, but I do want somebody meditating on a daily basis. So they're indicating where they've meditated, and then they're indicating whether or not they've done uh, service. Um, and also establish how many meetings um, they're going to be doing in the beginning, right? And they're going to be doing throughout this this time that you, that uh, we're working together. And if they're going to be at those meetings, you might as well have commitments there. So the minimum I do for meetings, I guess the bare minimum is three, but that's not a lot. My preference is that somebody would be at a minimum of four meetings uh, on a weekly basis and have commitments at those meetings um, so that you start building that community and start really getting known. Right? So again, they're going to indicate all these things on that email that they're sending me on a nightly basis so that um, we start really building that, that relationship and that contact, that daily contact that we are given. And what is at the foundation of it is um, the tools, our program, and the direction that um, I'm given from the book. Right? So they read these, read Bill's story, do that chapter one, then do um, the very um, uplifting chapter, There is a Solution. I mean, it's such a, after kind of you read all this sobering stuff about addiction and the horrendous experience that Bill had, it's, it's such a, a wonderful, enlightening thing to, to read this chapter, right? And, um, and I say, you know, once you've read that chapter, go back to page 27 and read the paragraph right in the middle of page 27, right? Yes, replied the doctor, right? And this is after um, there had been the request about whether or not um, um, uh, the businessman could get recovered with, um, with uh, without having to do all this all this work, and the doctor says, you know, there are there are people who got who got um, who got recovered, and and it's what I've been trying to do with you, right? I've been trying to give you this experience, right? Carl Jung is trying to give Roland Hazard this experience about um, the vital spiritual experience where. We get this direction in this paragraph. Yes, replied the doctor. Hazard asked him, is there an exception? Can I get, am I going to die with this? And the doctor says, well, there are exceptions, right? Uh, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and arrangements, rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. Boom. So then at this point, when somebody reads this chapter and they read their 15 minutes, and I say, okay, so this is a third edition book, so we're going to get in the fourth one. And I say, great, okay, so you've got that now. So now you know what Carl Jung was telling us, right, that vital spiritual experience, that's what we're trying to do here, trying to have that experience. Now what I want you to do is to go back, right, and look at where um, on page Roman numeral 29 in a uh, fourth edition book, where um, 
so forth is talking about the psychic change, right? And so we have that paragraph there. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem, this is the first full paragraph on Roman numeral 29. Strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required, required to follow a few simple rules. Right? So if I look at just, <laughs> look at that verb and that noun, required and rules, that doesn't sound like a suggestion to me. Does that sound like a suggestion to you? I don't think so. So here we have Carl Jung and we have Silkworth. They're both saying the same thing. A vital spiritual experience and a psychic change are both the same thing. What Jung said, it is, is ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which are once running the show, are, are going to be cast aside. And you're going to get a new... You're going to get a new set of conceptions and motives, which are going to to spur you on here. So now we are, we're what? Four days into this, five days into this, and I've already established daily contact, expectation that you're doing work. Silkworth says you've got an allergy of the body, but what's really going to give you grief, right? Or a blessing, I choose to see it, which is what requires me to be in program and working this process and I will be for the rest of my life, is because I have that obsession of the mind. can come back like that, especially if I introduce, um, well, you know, if I eat, eat, I haven't had sugar in, what, 17 years, 16, 17 years. But if I were to have it, it it's going to spur on that allergy, and then all of a sudden I'm back in that process, and then the, the obsession of the mind is going to, to really take off. But getting this established right in the beginning, because now we're on day what? Day four at this point, where somebody gets it, that all of these things, you have to do all of these things to deal with what it is we've got here. So I'm, you know, we started on a Monday, now we're on Friday, and somebody has a real clear idea of how serious this is and what the solution, what the direction from the literature is telling telling them what they need to do on a daily basis, right? And I get to be this loving support with you as I have these loving supportive sponsors doing this with me. So you see how this, all of a sudden I get to just lean into this beautiful literature to create an opportunity for somebody to to have real recovery here. And I'm just um, paying attention to the, the time here. We might go a little bit, bit longer. But at any rate, so now we, we turn to, after they finish that chapter, and they've read their 15 minutes there, and we've got this clarity now about the vital spiritual experience and psychic change, what these doctors right from the beginning gave us in terms of program. And um, then they are understanding all of a sudden now this, this direction that they're getting from me, their sponsor, about what it is we're doing here. It's backed up by the text, by the material, and starting to get a sense of how serious this is. And now we go into the more about alcoholism chapter. So, you know, you read Bill's story and you look at it all. It has the peaks and valleys and everything there. But that's a happy ending, except for the guy who killed himself right in his house. But, you know, that's a, that has the peaks and valleys in that story. And then we have the very, very uplifting, there's a solution, yay. And then before you get moved on to step two, you're taken down into the valley again through the more about alcoholism chapter it just brings home that point. And again, somebody's highlighting, annotating on every single page, write for 15 minutes on whatever you want. Just make sure you do it. But the last um, paragraph that we have in that, in that chapter, page 43, 
Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither here nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Okay? So a lot of times because we're we're alcoholic types, right, people will will want to to point out and it says, well, in a few rare cases, well, if you want to take a chance and that you're gonna be one of those rare cases who can <laughs> recover without doing this work. You you can try that. I I I am never dogmatic about this with anybody. I don't. I've never been anybody who ran around and talked about this being the last house on the block. I don't know what anybody's last house on the block is. I know it's the last house on the block for me. But last house on the block for me doesn't mean to me what it what it means to a lot of people when they're kind of throwing that term around. What it means to me is. This is the last house on the block. This is where I want to be. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because I the love is so evident in the rooms, and it's so evident on the meetings and in the connections and the show up at retreats and conventions and all the wonderful things we do. That's why it's the last house on the block for me. Not because I'm I'm gonna you know, die if I go out there, and I might very well die if I go out there. But that's not. The part of the transformation, the transformation of what it means to be recovered to me is coming to this very clear understanding that, that uh, and it's actually put out there in another program, this whole idea that negative thinking is a large part of my disease. So I, I take some of the things that can be tools to, to beat myself up or scare me into doing the right thing here, and instead I turn them into inducement. And to, to want to do the right thing here and show up to really receive the love, right? To open my heart and let myself be loved because it would be great if my problem had been that I was a 200-pound girl, right? Or that sugar was my problem. Hot fudge sundaes, fried chicken and hot fudge sundaes. It would be great if that was my problem. It wasn't. It wasn't. It never was. Those issues I had, the same two issues I had in the beginning, same two issues I wrestle with now to a much lesser extent, though. Thank you, God, for this process of going through the steps over and over and over again. Thank you, Bob Smith from Ohio. And I'm from Michigan originally. That's how I got influenced by sponsors who said keep cycling through the steps. But I am so grateful that I got very clear that those were not my problems. My problems, it was my heart. My problem has always been my heart. Right, those two problems in conjunction with my heart, I don't love easily and I don't forgive easily. Me or you. Because if I can't do it for me, I don't have a chance of doing that for you. So those are my issues. Those show up. That's what those, when those character defects are really firing, and boy, I had a character defect firing last night with my husband when we got in a snafu on our way to a, a social event, of course, right? Then I have to get dramatic and turned the car around, and then I, you know, got clear within however many <laughs> moments, but no, turned back around and go where you were going, but I mean, I was fired and off, and it definitely had to do with my heart, with, that I couldn't be loving, and I couldn't forgive him for something, right? It was just a dumb little thing, as those, you know, I always get tripped up. It's the little things that trip me up, not the big things. I can drop a transmission on the 405 and 5 o'clock traffic, and I'm 5. 
fine, just fine. I'm fine, you're fine. But if I break a shoelace, bam, somebody's going down. So it's the little things that can kind of trigger me because it has to do with that heart. Now, if I run with that and stay with that, well, then it's going to end up on my plate. Give me time. It'll end up on my plate. And I'll be conscious about it because I'm a whammer. Well, I'll know, right? I'll know that I eat extra food. And my sponsor will know because I'm, I'm not going to be on, dishonest with my sponsor about what I eat. I want to make sure people get that right in the beginning. It's, you're, you're safe here. You can be safe with exactly what you're eating. Exactly what you're eating. You don't need to lie. If you're going to lie about something, lie about something more interesting than your food. Lie and say that Brad Pitt is your cousin, right? Or you went to Harvard Medical School, but you prefer to work at the Gap. I mean, lie about something more interesting. You don't need to lie about your food. I want people to understand you're safe here. You're safe. What I need from you, what the book directs me to, is I need you to work with me. And I'll, that's why I'm laying out what the work is, what's going to be done in the emails, how the outreach calls, that you're going to be making those on a daily basis, that you're going to be in meetings, and you're going to have commitments at those meetings, because if you're going to be at a meeting, you might as well have a mandate to be there, right? I'm going to put all these things out there. And through this process, right, that's, that's going to open things up enough, get your head out of the way so that you're busy enough, you can't be thinking about things, get your body working, get you running to meetings, get you picking up phone calls, get you doing service, get you sitting in a chair, sitting quietly and meditating, you know, get all those things going on so that this loving power can come in and solve your problem, right? Because we are in a battle here. This is not, and especially with the people I'm working with, I mean, they are, they are battle-weary. I know I was when it finally shifted for me at year 12. But at the last line of this chapter says, his defense must come from a higher power. Well, the only reason we need a defense is because this is, this disease, the eating disorder, the sugar, the quantity eating, the vomiting, the starving, whatever it is, it's at war with me. It wants to kill me. It, it, my, disease, <laughs> my disease wants to kill me. But it will settle for me being alone in the room with the lights down, the, the TV remote in hand, and the the punch bowl full of whatever next to me. It will settle for that. It wants to kill me, but it'll settle for, for that. It wants me to be alone and isolated with my, with my thinker. That's what it wants. So all these things that I'm establishing right in the beginning, based on the direction that I'm given in that chapter, working with others, that's what this whole foundation is about, right? And then we, we move on, right? So then it's step two, and now they're in the we agnostics, and I'll have them read that chapter two days in a row. First day, write it for 15, your 15 minutes, is I want you to write, after you've read the we agnostics chapter, I want you to write what the concept of God is that you have right now. What is that, what is that idea of God that's running the show in your life right now? And the second day, reading that chapter, rereading that chapter again, same thing, highlight and annotate, Right, H and A on every single page, one at least one thing, and now I, for your 15 minutes on that second day, I want you to write 
what is the concept of God you would need to have in place for you to feel safe enough here to put the food down? And so then they'll write about that concept of God. Right? Then we move on to the uh, step three part of the book, which is from page 58, which is the initiation of our How It Works, to the end of 63. And I want them to pay special attention on page 60. We'll spend a couple of days on step three, maybe two days. I used to kind of just do it as a one-day thing, but now I might spend two days. And I want them on that first day to go back to the A, B, and C and write about that. What does that mean? To acknowledge that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. And Oh, we would have had that conversation when they're on step two, this whole idea about God. Not too many people, I, I don't, once in a while, I, I have had a, you know, I used to have a, I, I was concurrently sponsoring a woman who I was sponsoring uh, through the telephone. She lived in another state. And then a, a, a person right in the town where I live. And both of them, one of them was an atheist and one was an agnostic. And both of them, independently of each other, came up with this idea saying to me, Sheila, do you think it's possible that God might be love? I said, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea, really good idea. And then I remember the one who was actually um, a grandson of a minister, and he was the atheist, professed atheist. He said, Sheila, I've always struggled with that idea of God's will. I never knew what that meant. Do you think it's possible that God's will might just be taking the next loving action? I said, yeah, that sounds really good. And I just remember thinking to myself, hmm, who's sponsoring whom here? I feel like I should be sitting his feet, at his feet, right? He's the, I'll be the grasshopper. <laughs> I just thought that was such a beautiful, a beautiful communication, right? And that was through a revelation that he had in reading the Reagnostics chapter, you know? So all of a sudden something shifted for him. So all of a sudden someone who professed to be an atheist had this realization that the higher power of his own understanding, of his choosing, could be loved. And that God's will could be taking the next loving action. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it powerful what gets birthed out of this material? Again, I, I have great respect for all the conference-approved literature. I do. I love it all. But the reason I sponsor exclusively from the book, from the, the primary source material, right? the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, a primary, primary source material is because they have just had so many revelations of my own and those of my sponsees, right? Which is such a blessing. I get to take, I get to take such great advantage of all these wonderful epiphanies that they have through this process of doing the work on a daily basis, right? But I want to make sure they understand that that B component of this, and probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And that means that if I'm struggling, because a lot of times people want to trade sponsors, that happens. I know I did that a lot. I always thought, oh, the reason this isn't coming together is because I'm being sponsored by Mary and I need to be sponsored by Jane, right? That's not it. It would be great if it was that easy, but it's not. It's not. I can, and the wonderful news is, I can get recovery from anybody. I can as long as I'm willing to let that person run the show, right? The only correct answer to a sponsor is yes. So as long as I'm willing to do that, I don't argue with sponsors or cops, right? <laughs> I just don't. 
So as long as I'm just willing to do whatever it is that is asked of me, anybody can help me. And that takes so much pressure off. Think about it. We've all had those experiences. I know there's, you know, a, a person that for years I just wish this woman had been available to sponsor me. And she just never has. We've just always been buddies. She's ahead of me on the path, and I always just wanted to be in her her little sponsee stable. And she was never available, right? And I love my beautiful, I have the perfect, holy sponsors, right? Because I have more than one sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous. And um, so I've got, I, I'm very clear that I've been directed to the perfect people. But we've all had that experience, I think. That there was someone you just like, oh, gosh, I wish this person was available. Because they could give me something that, oh, I can't get. No, 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 no. Who's doing the work, where it comes from, is in that God couldn't would if he were sought. That's where the magic is. The magic is not, especially if somebody is trying to get abstinent. The solution is never about, I can't get abstinent, so i got to drop this sponsor and get that one. No. How do I know that? Page 60. So I get clear about these things, not so that I can cast them out or throw them out as bumper stickers or so that I can be a big book hotshot. I'm not. I feel like I know this book really well. I continue to read two pages a day, and I've done that for probably 80% of the 31, well, I'll be, yeah, I guess I'll be 31 years sober in November. I've been reading it probably two pages a day for 80% of those 31 years, and will continue to do so. I kind of made a commitment lately that I wanted to make sure that I just and doing it 100% of the days. So I just don't want to miss out on the gems here. Um, I, I don't want to miss out. This is, again, what it tells me at the, at the end of that uh, more about alcoholism chapter, right? It tells me that I'm at war here. Because if I have to have a defense from a higher power, that means there is an encroaching enemy. So I don't want to take any chances here. I don't. And I don't want to miss out. It's not just about the, you know, the stick behind me that is motivating me, right? It's going to wrap me on the head if I don't do what I need to do here. No, I'm, I'm definitely being called by the love and the joy and the peace, the carrot, if you will, that is drawing me forward. It's not what I'm, it's not what I'm running from anymore. It is what I am running toward. But when somebody is, has been struggling for years and they're, they're, we're working together, Right, they're they're they still have that stick behind them, but that stick isn't coming from me. It's not. I'm not a hard mean sponsor. It's not coming from me, and it's not coming from program. Even though we have all these very clear directions, that's it's actually spurring you out. If you will let yourself move along here, it's actually urging you on toward the love, toward that opening of the heart, right? that access of those most vulnerable places. Because again, the only way to be safe in the world, in my experience, and from the experience of people in front of me, and and even a, a therapist or two outside of program, right? But I got it very clearly in program. The only way for me to be safe here is to be completely vulnerable. And that was exactly the opposite of what I'd learned in my home, right? So on step three, right, from 58 to the bottom of 63, and I say pay special attention to the paragraph. Once you've looked at the ABC and you've written on that for a day, now the next day, read those same pages again and pay attention to the paragraph at the top of page 63. This 
is my very favorite paragraph in the book. Top of 63. When we sincerely took such a position, and the antecedent of the position is from the day bef- uh, paragraph before we get that God's the director, right? We're, we're the little ones who are running around being, being given our marks, right, on a daily basis. I'm given my mark. Take your mark, right? I'm not an actor type, but I, I have plenty of buddies here in L.A. who are, and you are given a mark, right, if you show up on a set or if you're you know, on a stage. You're given a mark. Hit your mark. So I am, I am directed to hit my mark on a daily basis. I have to be at this meeting at this time. I need to be making outreach calls at this time. I need to prepare my meals, cut the vegetables, cut the vegetables, right? (laughs) The bulk of my time with my meals is cutting vegetables. I have to hit that mark. I have to, you know, walk my dog, you know, and it's it's then. Then I get into the tasks of my life, right? I have to be at work at this time. I got to walk the dog. I got to feed my husband. I got to, you know, do the dishes, whatever. But all of it starts with first, what is the work I need? What are the marks I need to hit regarding my program? And those are the things that my sponsor is directing me to that I'm going to be recording in that email at night that I send out to my sponsors. Yeah. So, the direction is when we sincerely took such a position, God's in charge, I'm not, love is in charge, I'm not, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. That's pretty powerful. That's about as powerful as it gets. I don't have to be afraid of today. I don't need to be afraid of the future. And I don't need to be afraid of the hereafter, right? Life after life, as I call it. And what it doesn't say there, um, and I wish it did, <laughs> but it doesn't say it, that I don't have to be afraid of my past. But I also, at this point in the game, I don't have to be afraid of my past. Maybe it doesn't say that there because I don't really, that doesn't really, that's not really clear until I've done a four step and a fifth step and then an eighth and a ninth step. Anyway, okay. All right, so let me just, Rest assured that <laughs> this is the perfect paragraph and it says exactly what it should say. But the cool thing is, is I know, as a recovered person, I don't need to be afraid of my past either at all. But that's a really powerful paragraph, and I want them to write on that for 15 minutes because I want them to just see everything there. If I will just not be in charge, if I will just be out of good ideas, if they will be out of good ideas and continue to follow through, with these tasks on a daily basis, through the process of these steps, I'm going to be free of fear. I don't have to be afraid of today. I don't have to be afraid of the future. I don't have to be afraid of life after life. I don't, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to fear anymore. That's powerful. I always say in, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's too bad we don't drink anymore because it would be a good drinking game. It would be a great drinking game, right? You pick up a big book and turn to any page, and whoever finds the first promise on the page gets to, you're an alcoholic, so I guess you get to drink in the drinking game. (laughs) Anyway, this book is full of promises. Don't kid yourself. Not just ninth-step promises. There are promises on every page. 
But look at all the promises just in that paragraph. We don't have time to go through it. But there's like a dozen, I did it this retreat this weekend. There's like a dozen promises just in that paragraph. This is what we're moving toward. This is, this is you see, so we're, we're just a week in now, and somebody has already had an understanding based on my passion and zealousness and just, you know, ardent desire to, to, to pull, to cull everything that I can from these pages on a daily basis. That's, that's what the, the H&A, that's what highlight and the annotating is about, highlighting and annotating, to see the rich material here. Because we just don't want to miss out. It's just, oh, my gosh, it's, it's, it's better than any, it's better than any fried chicken I've ever had. It's <laughs> these pages, right? I can just eat them up. Okay. So now it's exciting. Now we get going on the fourth step. And again, I just got to stay very conscious of the time here. Because we'll definitely wrap this up by uh, 10 a.m. For, for in terms of my my little sharing component here, and we can do some questions and give you my two cents on stuff. But at any rate, so now we're on the four step, right? So the three parts of the four step. So you all you all know where this is in the book, right? So this is from uh, the bottom of 63. And we've got those three parts of a big book inventory: the resentment part, the fear part, and the sex inventory, right? Kind of like that the sex inventory starts on page 69. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, so somebody is going to do that inventory. And, and I give somebody two weeks to do an inventory. And that's a long time. I, my preference is that they would take a week because it does not take a long time to do a big book inventory. It doesn't. It doesn't take a long time because they take the story out of it. That's the great thing. And I'm a writer. Let me tell you something. There's only three purposes of story. Aristotle gave us the first purpose 2,800 years ago. The purpose of the story is to create a catharsis experience. It's the reason that people go to horror movies. I don't. But people go to horror movies because you're in a safe space, right? You have a collective experience. You, you know, have the, (gasps) right, experience when the, you know, the bad guy, the monster, whatever it is, right, jumps out, right? Everybody has that. And then at the end, hopefully, hopefully, if this isn't setting up a sequel, right, the good guy wins, the monster loses, then everybody can take that collective breath. <sighs> That's what Aristotle told us story is about, right? The second purpose of story, which is really relevant in my business here in L.A., is to entertain. It's the purpose of story, right? Turn on the TV, go to the movie, listen to the song, whatever it is, right? It's to entertain. Second purpose of story. The third purpose of story and this is really relevant for us in program. The third purpose of story is to get people on my team. Because if I get you on my team, right, about somebody did this horrible thing to me, if I can get you on my team, if instead of using an outreach call to uplift me and potentially uplift you, but I'm calling you because I want to complain about this or this bad thing happened to me or this person did this, and you know, will you growl with me and be on my team? We'd, if that's what we're doing, that's not going to serve me. That's actually going to kill me. That'll take me out. If, I'm, if my purpose is to get you on my team so that we can, we can be the good guys and we can be pissed off at the bad guys out there, that is not going to serve me. It's not. So what the big book inventory does, which is why I love that inventory more than 
any other. And I've, I will do whatever inventory, whatever first step my sponsor puts in front of me, as long as it's coming from conference-approved literature, I will do whatever I'm directed to do. And I've done it. I've done the OA workbook and the, you know, that four step. I've done, you know, the 170 question. You know, I mean, I've done, I've done, I play the game. The only correct answer to a sponsor is yes, and I say it, right, with a loving heart. I might be thinking, ver, but I keep my mouth shut. That I know. I am not, <laughs> I do know that. I don't argue with sponsors or cops. I will do what you ask me to do. But my favorite inventory to do is a big book inventory. It's my very, very favorite because it takes the story out of it. It doesn't want to hear the story. So, uh, you know, if I'm writing about the, you know, the guys that, that molested me, right, and it takes the story out of it, then all of a sudden my goal is not to have my sponsor being angry with me on my behalf at this guy who did this to me. My first sponsor was not. She was not. She was loving and kind and warm and empathetic, not sympathetic, empathetic. She was, she was very clearly communicating that she loved me and she was sorry that this had happened, but she was not setting it up where he was the bad guy and I was the good guy because there's no story. The story was out of it, and that saved my life. And that's what the big book inventory does, that four-column inventory, right? You have the three columns as they're um, uh, clarified on page 65 and then page 67 in the prose. It gives us that fourth column, right? referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. We resolutely, resolutely resolve. Boom. That's it. This is it. This is an adamant declaration. We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. That clarifies to me the most important part of a big book inventory is that fourth column. Where am I selfish, dishonest, and fearful? It also says self-seeking, but that seems close enough to selfishness for me. I just keep it very simple with people. Anytime. When you're on an inventory, it's that fourth column. And on the 10th step, that's going to get hearkened to again. We get to that on page 84. Uh, it, you know, it brings up the same thing. You're supposed to look where you're selfish, dishonest, and fearful. And it brings up resentment in terms of the 10th step, right? So it's hearkening back to that fourth column of the inventory. It's the most, it's the most important place. The most important place is to find out where I'm off. So all of a sudden then, that whole thing, because now I'm, what, somebody's a, they've taken two weeks to do the inventory? Because I, you know, I, I assign somebody a four-step, and then we set up a fifth-step. I mean, there's a circuit speaker in AA who says that. He says uh, he never assigns a four-step without assigning a fifth-step date and time. <laughs> and he's really funny. He'll, he'll say, and he talks really slowly. So he says, you know, yeah, I give him the, I assign the four-step on a Friday, and then I'll say, so what time on Saturday did you want to sit down for that fifth-step? So he gives people a day, and he says if he's feeling generous, he'll give them until Sunday. <laughs> so I give people maximum, I say, two weeks. Trust me. You're taking the story out of this. This isn't a lot of work. You can set up a, 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 a document where you're just checking boxes. I have one, you know. You you. Make the request, I'll send you the document where you're literally just checking boxes on this part of the, the inventory, this part and the second part of the inventory. You're literally just checking boxes. You write who you resent, why you resent them, and it's affecting me in all these ways. These are the ways that me being angry, because that's all resentment is. It's a $2 word for I don't forgive you, you jerk. That's all, that's all the resentment is. 
That's all the resentment is. You, you hurt me. You pissed me off, and I'm voting you off the island. That's all the resentment is. But the problem is, in voting you off the island, I get propelled off along with you. So when we do it this way, take the story out of it. I don't need anybody on my team because I'm not going to hold anybody bound because I'm holding you bound and holding myself bound. And I see that even though this horrible thing might have happened to me, right, I had a part in it. And if I look at the big ticket item, right, having been molested, for instance, I in no way was responsible for that. I was 10, he was 50, wasn't a fair fight. But I certainly was responsible for the fact that I hadn't forgiven him for years. That was really important for me to see, right? So this process, right, this this fourth column, where am I fearful? Well, it's easy to see where I'm fearful. If I'm angry at somebody and not willing to forgive them, I'm afraid of what will happen if I forgive them. And usually I'm afraid, oh, I'm letting them off the hook. No, I'm not letting the other person off the hook. It's me I'm letting off the hook if I forgive them. I'm the one who's bound, not them. If somebody did something horrible to me, they were fine with it. That's why they did it. They didn't have a problem with the behavior then. Or maybe they did, but they did it anyway. And I don't know where they're at now spiritually. Maybe they have a problem with it now. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I'm the one who's bound up if I'm not forgiving somebody. And it says resentment's going to kill me. So what is it? What is the big book telling me? So now I'm three weeks in, and the the, the big book says that resentment. That this is not our game to play. We don't get to be people who are. Uh, uh, <laughs> we don't get to be angry, and pissed off in the world. We don't get to be walking around resenting people because it'll kill us. We'll pay a very high price. We'll lose everything. What that's telling me then is that I have to forgive everybody of everything all the time. It's really what the book's saying. It's not saying forgive my enemies. It's saying <laughs> have no enemies. The enemy resides within. That's what that's what the book is giving me. Do you see? Like, And we're three weeks in now at this point. Three weeks in. Somebody's worked steps one, two, and three over the course of seven, eight days, walking day by day, as the book directed me to do, right? And we've had a couple of weeks, if if it took you a couple of weeks to do that inventory, and all of a sudden we we have we have that that really powerful seed of this this vital spiritual experience or psychic change has already been planted now. Because the the way I've been living my life, I'm just looking. Okay, I got eight minutes here. The way I've been living my life is what has been the problem. I had to eat every single thing that I ate because I was just trying to cope with this crazy way of living my life. And through this process, everything starts uncoiling and somebody is just now getting a very significant taste of it. And they're going to read their fifth step to me because the only way to be safe is to completely be vulnerable and I get that communication because that's why I have to sit down and I have to read it to somebody. And it tells me what's going to happen. 
if I don't do this, you know? <laughs> the be- it, on page 72, right? The best reason first, because it gives all these reasons why, you, you know, it's not enough to do a four step. You got to read a fifth step. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. We may not. Right? I don't want to take that chance. I don't want to take that chance. I'm dealing with a war here. Remember what we got at the end of more about alcoholism? I'm at war here. And and it will be victorious. I will if I get on the battleground again with food, with sugar, it, it'll win. It, it it won every time I did, every time I got in the ring. It was the heavyweight champion of the world, and I was getting in the ring without boxing gloves. And I did that for years, for a dozen years, in program, going to meetings, being sponsored, listening, taking this stuff in. I was always somebody who was at multiple meetings. You know, I've spent most of my time being at meetings five, six, seven times a week because I'm in three different programs. So I was in meetings hearing the message over and over again, and I still couldn't surrender. I couldn't surrender and then I couldn't take a third step. So at any rate, so now I've read this fifth step, have that great experience, right? Because I get to sit down and be entirely honest with somebody, it tells me at the bottom of 73. And it says that I have to be entirely honest with somebody if I expect to live longer happily in this world. That's a directive. So the direction there, if I have, we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live longer happily in this world, that right there is giving me direction saying, sit down and be honest with somebody if I want to be happy and live long. And I do. So then we've got that, right? So somebody's done the fifth steps and we do steps six and seven on page 76. We've got just a couple of paragraphs there, right? And our second paragraph is the My Creator Prayer. And it's always fun to look at the third step prayer on page 63, opens the door, because that prayer closes without an amen, and then on page 76, we have the My Creator prayer. My Creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Right? The prayers get opened with the third step prayer on page 63 and get closed on page 76. And make sure if you're in a meeting and they're doing those prayers at the end of the meeting, make sure you, if there are newcomers in the room, make sure you go over to them after the meeting and point out what pages those prayers are on. Right? It's hard to be in a, a room when people are doing a prayer and you don't know the prayer. Make sure they know. But it closes that door. Right? You've got the amen closed on the My Creator prayer. But the thing I do for 6 and 7, because it's giving me that in the prayer, My Creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad, so that's telling me with my sponsees that I want them when they're on six and seven, I want them to both identify the character defects, but I also want them to identify the assets. And since balance is what we're looking for here, right? I want to be balanced in the areas of my life. If you came up with 72 character defects, well, I need you to come up with a 72 character asset because we want to balance this out. So they'll, uh, yeah, I don't have time to talk about all this. So, um, They'll do that on uh, page, uh, steps six and seven, and then step eight, right? Tells me on page 76. Um, we have a list of uh, all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. 
So that tells me everybody who was on my inventory is now going to be on my eight-step list. Okay? And then I'm going to make amends to them. And obviously, I don't owe amends if uh, I didn't owe amends to those men who molested me, right? But I certainly was responsible for the fact that I hadn't forgiven them and I had no contact with them. I didn't reach out to them or anything like that. Again, I'm just talking about the big ticket item because once I got that sorted out, everything else was literally <laughs> cake, easy to do. But when I saw that I had a part and I wrote a uh, letter that I read to my sponsor and then put in a God box and just indicated that my not forgiving somebody for something horrible and hurtful that they'd done to me, that was not, that's not what I'm directed to do here. That's not. If I really want what I want here, if I want to really have that vital spiritual experience and that psychic change, I'm going to have to turn everything inside out. And we do. We do it very, very consistently. One of my close friends is an L.A. Superior Court. She's an L.A. Superior Court judge. And she, she is just astonished by what we do in 12-step programs. She can't believe it. She, she can't believe the forgiveness and things that we do here, that I do. She's just blown away by it. Why? She's a judge, right? <laughs> She's used to judging. That's her job. That is not my job. I don't get to judge anybody. Nobody gets to be the bad guy. Nobody's the bad guy in my life anymore, ever. Nobody gets voted off the island. Okay? So then I did steps eight and nine. Then we have that magical 10 step on page 84, right? And the thing I want people to pay attention to here, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Remember those? That's the fourth column of the four step. Right? We've got the resentment, which is the, the inventory, but then it says selfishness, dishonesty, and fear. Well, that's what, the, that's what I'm identifying in the fourth column of a, on the inventory. So I'm to watch for those, and then it gives me the four steps I am to take when those, when those crop up. Right? When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately, make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone, and resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. My little acronym with that is God Makes Apples Sweet. I ask God to remove it. I share it with another man or woman. A for apple. I make amends if necessary. S for service. I then um, resolutely talk, turn my thoughts to someone I can help. I do service. And the sponsor who um, directed me to this said 12-step service doesn't count. Because we are to practice these principles in all our affairs, do service outside the realm of 12-step rooms. Go pick up litter in the park. Right? Do something like that. Uh, and then I have step 11, which is in the big book. According to the big book, step 11 is both what we do at night and it's what we do in the morning, the unawakening, right? So it doesn't matter how you're doing a 10-step or whether you talk about a 10-step from the perspective of what the AA 12 and 12 talks about or whether you're doing it uh, and putting it under the umbrella of a big book 11-step, which is what we do at night. And what we do in the morning. Just make sure you're doing it. Take a look at your day at the end of the day. But the big thing people think of in the big book um, from the 11th step is usually um, the unawakening part of it. And there are a bunch of, I realize, okay, um, I guess I don't have time for all this, but there's, I've, I had taken, I had a sponsor who directed me to take all the, the specific directions from the unawakening from 86 to the end of that chapter and put them in a, a, a beautiful piece of writing. And I uh, had this as a 
part of my morning routine. I'll just read this to you. God, please let my thinking be free of self-seeking, self-pity, and dishonest motives. I know that intuition and inspiration is a working part of my mind, and I will rely on it. The right answers will come. Please show me what my next step is to be and take care of any problems. I'll be quick to see where religious people are right and make use of what they have to offer. Especially, please free me from self-will. I will meditate today. If agitated or doubtful, I'll pause and ask for the right thought or action, constantly reminding myself I am no longer running the show, humbly saying to myself many times each day, I will be done. Happily, this will free me of fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. This freedom will energize me and make me more efficient in life and love their works. I'll be lovingly disciplined in the way I've just outlined. Those are the specific directives we are given from the middle of 86 to the bottom of that, uh, that chapter, that on awakening. And um, that's really beautiful to have that as part of my morning routine of prayer, right? It's really beautiful. I got a buddy who recorded um, everything. He read 86 to the end of 88 and he listens to it on the way into work, right? And just says it just, and he's got a huge job, and just says that it, it, it makes everything so clear what he's supposed to be doing on a daily basis. And then I close out with the sponsor and we're back to a, to uh, chapter seven, working with others. And I have them read that chapter one more time and write on it for 15 minutes after they've highlighted it and annotated. And now they have a different experience with it because all of a sudden they are now on the other side and they, they have this understanding why it's so important to do everything that we've done in this uh, day-by-day journey of walking together and have had that potential to have had a spiritual experience and usually their, their food has, has sorted itself out in a very significant way. But I didn't do it, obviously. They didn't do it, even more obviously. But a loving power that was able to access, get access to the person's heart and mind and spirit through this process of doing this work, this holy, holy work, um, as it's outlined in the book. So that's what I've got for you today, right, on the 11th of November, um, talking about um, you and the new man must walk day by day, right? What a blessing it is that I just don't have to be alone anymore. That most important word of the steps, that first word of step one, we. Right? We just don't need to be alone anymore. But it's not it's not a punishment. It's not it's not anything to be afraid of. It is just what it gives me at the beginning of that chapter that I'll just close with this paragraph, the second paragraph from this, this chapter. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our life. That article, pay attention to that article. It's not a bright spot of our lives. It's the bright spot of our lives. I know it certainly has been for me. And... um, it has been a real pleasure to be on the call with you. I thank you, Leah, for asking me, and I thank the beautiful Vision for You community for, for being on the call. And um, 
I hope we're going to see you guys at the birthday party in January. Um, but again, it has been a true pleasure. And thank you for um, for having me. And uh, I hope we all have a, a wonderful day today. I'm not somebody who ever says have a, have a wonderful, abstinent day. I hope that's a foundation where we don't even need to say that. You know, I don't say to buddies in AA, have a wonderful, sober day, right? There's something much better than food. I think you know that. I know it. I'm real clear about it. And um, and when I forget, I'm going to call you and you can remind me that this love and joy and peace that I've accessed here um, is better than anything I ever had on a plate. So you've given me my life and I thank you. Thanks for having me, everybody. Thank you, Sheila, for this beautiful, thorough, and instructive presentation this morning. Thank you for giving so much of yourself to all of us, your experience, strength, and hope, and the humor as well. I like the, I'm voting you off the island. (laughs) I'll be using that. Um, Sheila's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this presentation, of the of the meeting, so stay tuned for that. The sheer ID for Sheila's presentation this morning, 12,166. That's 12166 for this presentation. This concludes Part 1. Part 2 is available on the next podcast.